are you going to sit out, not engage? It's to your detriment. And it's also to the detriment of everyone around you leaning on you to do your part and do everything that you can to engage in a way that is effective. So instead of driving results, you end up feeling ineffective and you also miss out on opportunities, not just for yourself, but for your team or your organization. I think that being a better leader involves politics. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. I'm more than thrilled that we are opening up enrollment for the next cohort of You Belong in the C-Suite group coaching program. I've been coaching for over 10 years, and I know that sometimes you need accountability to make progress. Since launching my leadership coaching practice, I've spoken to so many leaders that have been reflecting on what they really want in their lives and careers. They know that they need a change. They put so much into their work every day, and it needs to mean more. If you've been reflecting on what you really want, listen up. We've built a journey to get you to action, to living your values, building and sticking to your boundaries, to live the life and have the career you want. And guess what? You get friends to go along the journey with you. You'll learn together and you'll celebrate together. You'll get a digital learning path, live group coaching, and actionable tools and processes to build and create a life and have a career aligned to your values. What do you really need at this stage in your career? Is it getting that bigger job that aligns with your values? Is it building boundaries so that you show up to life and work with more energy and time for the things that are most important? Is it working through limiting beliefs that are keeping you stuck from fully showing up in the spaces that you occupy? Is it figuring out that next stage in your journey to make sure you have the impact that you want? Our founding group, of You Belong in the C-Suite group coaching participants has already tackled many of these important questions. They've found clarity, and most importantly, they've had the support to take action on the next right thing. We are starting with our waitlist and then opening up spots to our community. Learn more at thecatchgroup.com to apply to You Belong in the C-Suite group coaching program. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in top jobs. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-Suite. Apply now at thecatchgroup.com. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I'm thrilled to have Dr. Mira Brancu on the podcast. Dr. Mira Brancu is a consulting psychologist, leadership coach, writer, and speaker. She leads Brancu and Associates, a boutique consulting firm that aims to help leaders navigate large, complex organizations and helps organizations make it easier for them to navigate. She has a special passion for helping women gain the influence, power, leadership, and resiliency skills needed to succeed in today's diverse, complex, 
and ever-changing workplace. She has also written a book about this called The Millennial's Guide to Workplace Politics. Dr. Brunku is also an associate professor at Duke University, an associate editor of the Consulting Psychology Journal, and has a blog in Psychology Today focused on women's leadership. We talked about so many great things that we ran out of time. It is so good. We unpacked what playing politics means in an organization, how to lead with your values and show up as a leader within big organizations proactively, how to figure out the power dynamic within an organization, and what to do when you have to be reactive when someone is actively undermining you or your team. I can't wait to dive in. Let's get started. Welcome to this week's episode of You Belong in the C-Suite, and I'm really honored to have our guest here today, Dr. Mira Bronku, and I'm really excited to hear about everything there is to know about workplace politics and your story. So can we talk about what brought you to this point? And I'd love to hear more about your career. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on, and I'm excited to be here, and yes, I am excited to talk about all things workplace politics. <laughs> so, so what what brought me here? Let me just start with kind of like my early days of how I got to politics in the way that I see it. it. Starts with me being an immigrant to this country. We actually came here as political refugees, and so I didn't understand the language. So for many many years. What I did was observe a lot as a child. I just sat around observing people, taking things in. How do people interact? How do people get things done? How do people, you know, I looked at the popular kids, quote unquote. How did they become popular? What did it take to have that kind of power and influence, right? I didn't know that that's what I was observing, but it is what I was taking in. Fast forward to my first career as a school counselor, working in, you know, several different kinds of schools in a large complex system, I had gotten to the point where I understood the language, right, very well. I sound sounded back then the way I sound now. And um, I had my master's degree and I thought, okay, with my master's degree and understanding the language very well, strong understanding of that, I was all set with all the tools necessary to be successful. And I went in like, really gung-ho overzealous like excited to conquer the world <laughs> and unfortunately what you don't learn in sort of in school is you get all the fundamentals of how to be good in your profession but you don't get the information about you in the context of a specific culture and even though you you know i understood the language I didn't necessarily understand the culture. And those two things are very different things, right? Um, just because you understand the language when you visit another country doesn't mean you can sort of easily navigate the nuances of how people relate. And so I ended up getting into a little bit of, of trouble here and there when I just sort of assumed things were really straightforward, make a lot of assumptions about, you know, what my leaders wanted from me and what I should be giving. And I could you know, say a little bit more about that if you'd like, but ultimately I ended up getting my hand slapped and my a supervisor said, Mira, you know, I, I fixed this one problem for you. And basically what I, what I um, explained to other people is that English is a second language for you and you sometimes miss things. And so, you know, it just, that's the way it is. 
And I was like, I understand the language pretty well, even though English was a second language for me, it's no longer a second language for me. But that experience just hit me in the head like a like a bolt, like oh, wow, I'm missing a lot of things according to my leaders. And now I've got this big clueless sign slapped on my face. Like as I'm walking around, everybody's like, oh, don't include her in this. Don't, don't involve her in this. She's going to mess it up. She, she misses things, right? And I just felt very ineffective and very like, you know, defeated and frustrated. And at that moment, I said, well, okay, I'm never, ever going to work for another large hierarchical bureaucratic system again. Well, I went back to school to learn even more things so I could just make myself feel more effective (laughs) and became a, a psychologist. But this time, everything was different. I ended up working with what is arguably one of the largest hierarchical bureaucratic systems in the U.S. But I had this amazing mentor who was incredibly wise and strategic and thoughtful and really taught me how to understand myself in the context of a system and what it takes to really succeed. And it catapulted my career to levels that I never, ever thought possible. I I never even imagined it for myself. And, you know, just within five months promoted to management level within, you know, three years, assignments to very high stakes, highly sensitive, visible um, leadership roles to manage a very complicated situation and sort of larger and larger scope in various leadership roles. And what I ultimately realized was just how important workplace politics was in that and understanding that and navigating um, these complexities of people and things and layers. And I realized also that very, very few people get access to that kind of mentorship. Most of the time, mentors that are that good at that level are at usually the highest levels of an organization and mentor people who are also at higher levels of the organization. So that means it rarely trickles down. And I realized how important that was when I started getting earlier career women coming to me, asking me, like, how did you succeed and get to the point where where you're in these roles? How do I, you know, get past this barrier? What would you do? And recognizing just how much information I've picked up and wanting to make that much more accessible to more people. And so that's where, like, I poured it all into this book. I just, I wanted to make all of that information more accessible to people who normally wouldn't have access to that information so that we could get more women and more people of color, women of color in higher leadership roles and accessing that information. Because it's not that mysterious when, when you learn about it, but it does take some work and it's not something that is usually provided. So that's the, the, I guess, the long story for how I got to this, but I'm like really passionate about sharing that with other people. I love it. And I love how you just said it's, it's not that hard, but it's hard to get access to. But when we think about office politics, you know, usually there's this negative connotation behind it. Like, Hey, it's this game I have to play to get ahead. 
so we talk about values on this podcast a lot. So how do I, you know, stay true to myself and my values, but still be authentic in this place that doesn't feel so authentic? Um, can you describe, you know, that reframe and, and how you talk to people about it? Yes, yes. So um, great question, because when we say politics, we automatically gravitate towards thinking about dirty politics, self-serving politics, amoral politics, people out for themselves, backroom deals, just ugly stuff, because we've had bad experiences with that. And that's that's the experience and what we automatically say to ourselves, just like what I said to myself after my first bad experiences, I'm never doing this again. I'm never engaging in that kind of stuff again. And then removing ourselves from the process. But the way that I think about politics from like a neutral standpoint is that you can have honest politics or you know politics with integrity. You don't have to engage in dirty politics to be successful. In fact, when I engage in politics, which is basically, you know, what I do just naturally, it's all with integrity. It's all upfront, authentic, me just enhancing very specific skill sets. So to make it more specific, I see politics as a combination of three things. Okay. The first thing is very high emotional intelligence. So understanding yourself and being able to understand others, knowing where you stop and where someone else starts. And so that means knowing just how much you're bringing to the table, what part is your baggage that you might be escalating something and what part is helping to like for yourself to understand and have empathy and compassion for somebody else's situation and why they're doing the things that they do. So that's one component. The second component is the emotional intelligence is not enough. The second you know, piece is systems thinking. So understanding how you are within the context of a system, meaning many people, many layers, many different roles um, throughout an organization, many policies, and how they're, you know, they impact each other and how you can understand them better to navigate better. And then the last thing is understanding how to drive results. So uh, getting the outcomes that you're looking for. When you combine those three things, it could go one of two ways. If you are highly emotionally intelligent and know how to drive results and understand how to work within a system, you could do it in dirty, manipulative, conniving ways that are self-serving, or you could do it in a way that makes a huge impact and influences many more people in a way that benefits the company's outcomes and goals and mission, as well as your own professional goals. And my goal, my interest is helping people understand how to do that second one, to engage in these ways that benefit more people, benefit your team. You're helping others as you're helping yourself, you know, understand how to navigate people and things and policies and um, use it to drive change. I love the three, the emotional intelligence, systems thinking, and remind me of the last one I just lost. Driving results. <laughs> how to get results. results. Yeah. I love it. I love the three and how they play together. Do you have an example of how you've seen somebody do this successfully in an organization? Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of examples where, for example, executive leaders choose to provide opportunities broadly to um, invite 
people to lead challenging projects. And that helps them gain visibility. It helps them help the company. Everybody benefits from that. And being able to be in a leadership position where you identify opportunities and match them to people takes emotional intelligence about understanding others. It takes a systems level thinking about who is needed for this project, who can really bring something to the table, and then who do I need to drive those results? So that's like top level down. And top level down also includes leaders choosing to help staff navigate really difficult transitions in a way that is healthy. And that means recognizing from from the emotional intelligence standpoint, recognizing that change is hard and people will be resistant. People will sometimes argue or lash out or all kinds of behaviors that are just natural processes of we don't like change. But working with that instead of blocking people from engaging and sharing how they feel then making them feel more resentful and then forcing them to work around a system in manipulative ways because they're they're not their needs are not being met any other way and they don't see any other way forward so instead opening up opportunities for dialogue and exchange and so the flip to that from a individual who's not in a leadership position could be identifying how decisions are made and not making assumptions about, you know, understanding what your leaders challenges are and what burdens they're facing and what they really need from you. And instead creating opportunities where you can find ways to build your network, have a seat at important decision-making tables like committees and boards so that you can understand better what they're facing what the sort of tensions and problems are, then you can provide them with much better solutions than if you're out, sort of outside the system and just coming up with your own ideas in isolation of what's happening in, in, in the system. I love the perspective that you just shared of leader versus contributor. And you've mentioned before this idea of some people think, oh, I should just not get into this politics game. So what, what do you think the drawbacks of are of not playing politics? What are you losing if you're not even playing within the arena of positive politics? Yeah, yeah. Great question. What's the risk, right? So we don't function in a vacuum, right? Um, even at home, we don't function in a vacuum. We have family members and friends and community members leaning on us and expecting things of us. And you have the same expectations of others, right? So you're working with groups of people all the time, whether it's at work or not, and you need them to do their part as much as they need you to do your part. If you don't engage in that, then what are you doing? Are you gonna sit out, not engage? It's to your detriment, and it's also to the detriment of everyone around you leaning on you to do your part and do everything that you can to engage in a way that is effective. So instead of driving results, you end up feeling ineffective and you also miss out on opportunities, not just for yourself, but for your team or your organization. I think that being a better leader involves politics. It just, right now, we have a real dearth of leaders who can do this well. We have plenty of examples that we see of leaders 
who positively benefit themselves at the detriment of benefiting their customers or their employees or their companies. And what we really need are leaders who are willing to engage in a way that positively benefits the organization and their employees. And that means growing your political intelligence. Yeah, I can think of a time in a previous organization where there was a manager, um, not my specific manager, but a different manager that like was known, you know, I'm not going to play politics. And basically they were just cut out of the loop. They didn't really know. They didn't know a lot of stuff. People didn't go to them for things anymore. And their team kind of felt cut off. Exactly. You kind of like end up like a bull in a China shop, just like making your own decisions in the absence of what's happening around you or recognizing that pe you know, people need certain things from you. Um, that's, a, that's a great example of that. Yeah, and it's, to me, it fits into your framework of they didn't realize that they are part of the system. Like, even if you don't want to play within the system, you're still part of the system. Right, and you could either take control of, you know, how you choose to be a important contributing men, you know, member of the decision-making process or uh, removing yourself from that. But again, like, like you just described to your own detriment and everybody else's. Yeah. And it's interesting because I'm, if I'm thinking about this person, they're still trying to drive results and they're still empathetic with their team. But if you're not playing within the system, then it's kind of for not, right. You're probably driving to the wrong result, or you're not going to get the collaboration or driving to the right thing. So it's really interesting how all of them work together. Right, and again, when, when we think about like this playing in the system thing, we often like think about playing games. And again, I think that's only because we've seen people sort of move chess pieces around, you know, as if people were chess pieces in a game and it feels bad and it feels awful and we don't wanna engage in that. And that's definitely not something I, you know, would ever, support. I, I see so many, like I work with so many leaders who have all the right intentions. They're emotionally aware and intelligent and um, incredible at driving results. However, they make an awful lot of assumptions about what their leaders need from them or what they think needs to be done without gathering enough information. And it's easy to make these kinds of assumptions like we all do. So what makes the difference is really trying to put yourself in the shoes of the people around you, your team, your supervisor, the higher level leaders and understanding their language um, instead of necessarily just thinking about it in your language. Yeah, I love that. And to think about it in that systemic way, it's, you know, what are the contexts of others? What have, what has the history been? you know, learning from other people. So a lot of the, the quote unquote, playing the game could actually look like collaboration. Right. Collaboration and, and learning, gathering information, yep. like just data gathering. Mm -hmm. No, thank you for that, that example about what it actively looks like. I think that's really helpful to see a tangible example. So you talked a bit about um, this idea of power before, right? You know, whether it was the popular kids in school growing up, or, you know, there's probably a popular bunch of leaders too, the ones that seem to get more of the accolades or whatever it is. If I'm in an organization, how do I figure out how the power flows and how influence works at my company? 
Yeah. Well, you actually started touching on that when you were talking about like the data gathering around like what's the history here, right? So that's exactly what you would do finding out and these are not things that you can like explicitly find out you can't just like sort of go to somebody and be like can you tell me about the organization's values there's the explicit values and there's actually what what gets played out so instead um what i'm going to share here is really not stuff that is overt but things that would require you to do a lot of observation mm -hmm and how things work when you start a project and start working with others and tracking that and asking in perhaps indirect ways like if i were to advance my career here what would it take you know that kind of thing and so the information you want to gather are um we talked about what are the organization's values and have they changed over time and why how has the succession of leaders happened how do people get promoted? Um, who gets promoted? Are there challenges that have been consistent over time for this organization and why? And what have they tried already? And who has power that is not like officially found on an organizational chart? So the organizational chart is like, you know, when you see images of like who people are in their positions and their labels, like vice president of. But there are some times that there are trusted people in the organization that don't have official positions where you would expect them to have that role and yet they have like leaders ears so how do they you know who are they how do they get into that role what are they doing what's funded and not funded where's the money flowing um that tells you a lot about the organization's priorities and what it really means I right. love that one so much. It's so true because you could there's so many times where organizations say these are our values but that value has a big fat zero on the budget line. Right. And if they say like, these are our values, but it doesn't end up on the performance plan of your you know, leaders or yours, then well, what, what are you trying to accomplish? <laughs> yeah, what metrics are they tracking? What is the results that they're really tracking versus what they're saying they're tracking? How do they manage things like employees' health, recruitment, orientation training what goes into the training what are they teaching you in the training all kinds of things related to like employees and and supports uh, or benefits versus costs for employees to engage in certain activities versus others so there's a lot more in the book but those are just like a few <laughs> no that's great i think that's it's gotten me thinking about like just lots of other things that i've seen in workplaces and with uh, people that I coach. I think yeah. it's, it's called an environmental scan by some, some people call that an environmental scan. Um, you're scanning your environment, you're, you're gathering data, you know, in various ways. So as you kind of proactively manage, you know, some of these things within your role, you can do that hopefully proactively um, within um, the positive politics side. What if they're, what if you're dealing with somebody that's playing the dirty politics side and you have to you can't be proactive and you have to react in the moment what do you do then uh, great question yeah so our book is separated into that so um it's separated into first try all these proactive measures that's most important that's most helpful i'd rather you not have to be reactive um so how do you set yourself up for success however you're right that not everyone is going to play fair 
And um, there are going to be people who you you're going to have to protect yourself more from um, those negative influences and be a little bit more reactive. You know, obviously, the most important is not engaging in it. And some of, of the simple ways are, for example, not venting about it without the intention of problem solving, because if you're venting to people, you're basically complaining, which is basically gossiping, sort of just engenders more gossip, right? And so instead, being a role model where if you're going to go to people about concerns, you're going to them because you're looking for ways to solve the problem in healthy, positive ways. And you're, you know, doing that and role modeling a lot um, goes a really long way because positive behavior is just as contagious as negative behavior. And you want to be the positive influence in the world around you, what, whatever power you have, whatever control you have in, in the world around you, no matter how small, it makes a huge difference. Again, that's a bit more proactive, but I think it's also reactive. No, I, I think that's a, it's a really important thing, especially as a leader and who you, and if you do have to vent who you're venting to. So potentially you have somebody outside of the system, whether that is a partner or a previous colleague or a mentor or a something that, ha that creates a safe space of doing that. Because sometimes I think you do need to vent in some way, shape or form, but to be able to do that in, in a spot where like basically not doing that within the system or especially to your, your direct reports, because that could be yeah. that, that. Basically don't yeah. buy into the bad behavior. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it will come around. A few other tips are, and, and I have done this before, is sometimes you have to secure top cover. And what, that, what I mean by that, um, that's a kind of a very military term, but what I mean by that is that if you get a sense that something is going to go bad and or that someone is actively undermining or trying to sabotage, immediately start increasing communication with your leaders, those that you trust. So identify who you trust, those with, you know, more influence, more power than you. That could be a supervisor. It could be, you know, someone else you trust, um, you know, somewhere else, whatever that is. And as high up that as makes sense without sort of circumventing your supervisor necessarily, but um, sharing, here's what is happening, just fact-based. Here is my concern about that behavior. Here's what I'm doing about it to solve this problem. And do you have any other recommendations for me? It's bringing them in to engage in a positive problem-solving process while also protecting you if that person tries to go to them to make you look bad. So that's that's securing top cover with the intention of a positive outcome and like with integrity, like you're just trying to solve a problem and you're just trying to protect yourself and pos possibly also protect your, your team from those things. Yeah, and I think um, providing that air cover is is really important. And I feel like if you're, again, if you've been proactive, as you mentioned, a conversation like that is not going to seem abnormal. You're bringing somebody up to speed. You're escalating something that you might need help with. And then also, to your point, you're seeking a positive outcome as the intention, right? That's right. Now, let's say you don't engage, right? I'm not going to engage in politics at all. What you're going to end up doing is 
not addressing it. I'm not going to engage at all. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to let this go. And I can promise you that that other person who's being more active is going to make things worse for you. And then you're sort of stuck. You've gotten yourself stuck defending yourself instead of being much more actively addressing the problem. It's interesting because I've been on the receiving end of these kinds of conversations. Um, and one of the first things I ask, of course, I'm going to give air cover to my people, but the first, one of the first things I ask is, have you talked to them about it? Have you given them the feedback and to work towards a, a solution together? And the most common response is no, no, haven't. Yeah. I came to you. Or it might be another person from another team and they go to the leader. And so that's um, interesting in and of itself, right? Is this idea of going to like jumping the ladder almost to get it resolved without conflict when probably the easiest way is to have a very um, honest conversation with the person that you're, you're working with directly with. Yeah, that's a great point. So I often think about this in two ways. One is, are they coming to me because they feel unsafe? Are they coming to me because they feel ineffective in their ability to directly address this? And if so, my goal as a leader would then be, let me help you figure out how to address this directly if you feel safe but not effective at how to address it. If you feel unsafe because of a certain reason, let's talk through that. The flip is again, as an individual contributor in our book, we offer like a lot of different ways to directly address a problem if it feels safe and how to assess like the level of safety to be able to address it directly and going to a supervisor first to get tips on how to address it directly, rather than going to a supervisor and say, you fix it before, you know, sort of getting some advice about like, is there something I'm doing that I could be doing better or in addressing this? No, I love that. And I think it's so important to your point of if you, if you don't feel safety in that conversation, absolutely go to your leader or somebody that you do trust um, to have that conversation. Really great conversation and context too on what to do. So what if you've tried everything? Um, you've tried it all, Mira, you've tried it all. Um, and you feel like potentially, you know, the system that you're in isn't the system that you're going to be successful in. Um, how do you make a, a decision to move on? Yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations on trying your best um, <laughs> and um, trying everything that you can. I mean, that takes an incredible amount of effort. And most people will appreciate that level of, of thoughtfulness or recognize it, especially those who might become, you know, future mentors and supporters and that kind of thing. But yes, there, there are times when you've tried your best and it's time to go because it feels like an unsafe or unhealthy work environment. You know, people talk about this um, sort of quote unquote toxic work environment, you know, like it feels so bad that it's affecting your health. It's affecting, you know, your mental health, your physical health, your not you're noticing your sleep you know, you know, going down your appetite, going down, you're irritable all the time, you're snapping at your family or whatever. Like those are usually the signs to know that something is off and it's, it's gotten so bad and prolonged, you know, for so long that it's affecting your well-being. And that that's 
in my opinion, already too far, <laughs> too long, right? So I guess my first tip about that is don't wait until it's awful like that uh, because it takes so long to recover from that level of awfulness when you're so burned out or, or um, it's affected your mental health and your physical health. It takes so much longer um, to recover from that after, even after you leave. So the earlier, the better having backup plans, developing an active, strong network of people that um, you trust or colleagues in your field that you're talking to on a regular basis about how you're doing at work, you're sharing so that when it comes up, it's not like this, oh my God, I'm desperate. I have to leave immediately. What opportunities are there? Do you have any? But rather you've been talking with them all along. You're on their radar. They have already learned about your strengths and how you, how you could fit into the opportunities maybe they're hearing about. So it's, it's a much, again, very proactive process. The other few things are don't burn bridges. You know, after you leave, you might still want to be in touch with people. There might be other people who leave the organization and then end up having opportunities for you if you don't burn those bridges and they're still thinking about you and keeping in touch. And then finally, recognizing that even thinking about career transition and change is a process. And um, there's a messy middle before the end of something and the beginning of something else. And that messy middle is often riddled with fear of the unknown, uncertainty, anxiety about, you know, is there really anything better out there? Am I good enough? Can I succeed? You know, maybe even feelings of incompetence after everything that you've been through. And all of that is normal and natural and important part of like just working through so that you are ready and able to make an important decision for yourself for the next steps. Oh my goodness. That answer was, was such gold. I loved all of it. So um, I'm going to go back to what you said about the burnout. If you've reached the burnout and the cynicism and the negativity and it is already too late. Like, like you said, like you might have waited too long, but again, it's okay. Uh, but this idea of knowing how you're feeling earlier on to then make a decision because it's, it's exhausting to live in a toxic environment. Yeah. And yeah. we, we talk a lot about, about boundaries on and living your values and all of those kinds of things on that podcast. And I think it's really important to, to check in with, are you okay? So within the system, am I, I'm, you know, I'm here, I'm driving results. I'm doing this stuff. Am I still living my own values? Yeah. I compromise anything. And am I still happy? And I, am I still fulfilled? And by doing that, if you're not, I think, you know, some of that angst and all the stuff that you've been talking about or the overwork overwhelm, it will show up. And sometimes we have to build boundaries about what we will and what we won't engage in your point in terms of like, okay, have I tried this? Have I tried that? Have I tried this again? Because some people will just say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a hard worker and I'll, and I'll make it work because I need to do this for my family, but you're drained and you're not able to be happy anywhere. Um, so putting in those boundaries earlier um, is important. And I think also once you've made that decision of, you know, this might not be the place for me, some people, like you said, you can't, you can't go 
right away because you need the income or you need, you need to stay and how you use your energy is important too. So yes, you can still do your job really well and show it for your people, but you need to save some of that energy to then, like you said, build and maintain your network so that you are ready to do and be fulfilled in a, in a better environment for you. Yeah, absolutely. All, all really, really good points and really important about the boundaries and where are my boundaries and having enough energy just to build and maintain a network that alone takes a lot of time and effort of your like emotional investment in people inside and outside of your organization. And to be able to do that means, like you said, sort of maintaining your energy. I recently, and, and I also think about this again, in the context of like workplace politics, right. And um, thinking about emotional intelligence systems and, and driving results. I often think about like, how much do I accept that people, other people are under stress and when they're under stress, they aren't their best and they're taking it out on me. And that's not about me. That's about them versus how much do I say, but also that's not acceptable to me. <laughs> you know, what's, what's mine, what's the other person's thing and having an understanding and a level of empathy and compassion for myself and others but in the context of if you think about results and um, you think about like, okay, once I have this level of empathy for myself and some, maybe somebody else, how does this behavior impact the results that I want to achieve? And what is my role here? What is my role? I often think about this myself and I, I think about my role and like within a system and as a leader, even if I'm not like an official leader, I, I still think. Other people are looking to me and what do they want to see from me and what is my role in that and how much do I take on versus not? Do I address this head on with this one person in this isolated incident and is it worth it? Or do I feel like there could be a bigger thing, a bigger impact or a bigger way for me to approach this that impacts more people and makes it better for myself? And it could be if I've identified that this is not an isolated incident and it's not isolated to this one person either, but probably like a bigger problem. Can I bring it up at a meeting? We have an issue. I'm noticing this, this, and this pattern. Can we do something about that? And seeing where that goes. So like holding on to the information and as an example, instead of feeling like I have to address every single situation that comes up. And again, this is going to be different for every single person. Every one of us is going to have like our limits of how much will I engage in this? What do I see as my role that's important to me and, and sort of connected with my values? And how much do I need to preserve my energy? Because there's other things I want to be focusing on. And this is going to pull me completely out of it. This is a really great conversation. <laughs> yeah, we're really connecting around this, aren't we? <laughs> I yeah, I just, um, I, I think we could talk about this for another hour. Probably. We won't today, but maybe another time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I love everything about what you just said. I think as a leader, you have to out what you have to weigh, like just what you said, what can I take on? Because I think sometimes the people that, you know, are, probably a little bit 
more emotionally intelligent or have that capacity might even take more on than they really should at True. the detriment of themselves. Yes. You could stay like, oh, well, I could make an impact in this toxic culture, right? Totally. Totally. We get overzealous about the change that we can make and burn ourselves out because of the fact that we have a higher capacity and don't recognize when we're actually getting more burned out and more stressed out. Yeah. So I, I think that's where you need to really have the support to understand what your emotional load is, how much impact you can really make and what change you personally can make in a system. Because even if you're one person in a system, the system takes a long time to change. Yes. And how, how much is that outweighed um, for what you want to do, the impact of, that you want to make and the leader that you want to be in that situation? Yeah. And I think you touched on something very important that I haven't um, discussed, but, but there, there is more about this in the book, which is that social support is critical. Like I've talked a lot about, you know, what you do as an individual, but a lot of it is identifying the resources around you. And that includes and heavily based on human capital, the people, the people around you that can be your support systems. Who are your stakeholders? Who are your supporters? Who are your champions? Who can you champion and support in turn? Who are your allies and advocates? That makes an incredible difference in your capacity and to not feel alone. Yeah, absolutely. This is such, such great context and lots of actionable things here to think about as a leader, as an employee, and as a holistic person. So I really appreciate our conversation today. And I want everybody to go buy this book, <laughs> um, jump on Amazon to grab the Millennials Workplace Guide to Workplace Politics. And we will put in our show notes, a link to that, and then different ways to connect to you and all of the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, it was such an awesome conversation. I agree with you. We could have probably talked about this for hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope we do again soon. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you're helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.